Welcome to Everything Co-op, bringing you information on how cooperatives can help improve your quality of life. This show is being sponsored by the National Co-op Bank, NCB. The NCB is dedicated to strengthening communities nationwide for the delivery of banking and financial services for the nation's cooperatives, their members, and other socially responsible organizations. For more information on the power of community ownership, visit ncb.coop. That's ncb.coop. Now stay tuned for your host, Vernon Oaks. Good morning, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks. Uh, Welcome to Everything Co-op. You know, we're talking about cooperative and why they are so important. And we're celebrating Women's History Month the month of March. Last month, we celebrated Black History Month. So this month, we're talking about women and the plight of women. And so today, we're going to talk about black folk, black women, and Lakeisha Wolf. (laughs) Lakeisha, good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. I'm going to give you a heads up that I'm sitting here in Pittsburgh with my uh, four-month-old son. So if you hear some cute baby, you know, gurgles, oohs, and ahs, that's him in the background. <laughs> and how many children do you have? I have two. Two? I have a, a five-year-old girl as well. Five and two months? You say four months. Four months. Mm-hmm. Okay, Mama. Fantastic. So yeah. you are a mother and a wife and an entrepreneur and an artist. Boy, you got a lot going on. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, probably not more than the average woman who's involved in her family and in her community. So I'm probably pretty, pretty average in respect to that. Well, you know, I think it's been known for quite some time when you educate a woman, you educate a community or a country uh, because women have (laughs) such a powerful role. My mother is my hero or heroine, whatever you call it. She went back to school graduated from college with six kids and graduated magna cum laude. And so, uh, and that's what's helped me a lot to go to school with mother, my mother. So mm-hmm. go for it, mom. I really salute, mm-hmm. salute you this day in Women's History Month and cooperatives. Mm-hmm. So how did you get involved with co-ops? You know, honestly, the only real um, concept of cooperatives that I had here in Pittsburgh when I was um, in my early 20s, was a grocery store. So we have a local food co-op. So I think that was kind of the only thing that I knew. So when I started, you know, I started changing my, my lifestyle, you know, getting more healthy, being more, more conscious of what I was putting in my body, probably in my early 20s when I came out of Penn State. And, um, and when I came back home to Pittsburgh, you know, I naturally, you know, was talking to folks about health and found my way there. And later on, actually ended up working there. So in that journey of growing around my health, I began to make my skin and hair care preparations. And so so that's kind of how that also grew. So I started working at the co-op, which was a real, like, just economic need at the time. I had decided uh, probably around 2000, early 2000s, that, you know, I didn't want to work for anybody and I wanted to see if I could do this business thing, but I was really unprepared. And so it, it threw me back into, okay, I need to find a job. This is, you know, just need is pushing me. And um, and there wasn't too much going on 
because I wasn't actually getting a lot of callbacks at the time. You know, I have a degree in uh, broadcast journalism, actually, but I wasn't getting very many callbacks on jobs. And so I ended up going to the co-op, you know, having to decide at the time between that and a few other things. It was it was that. And I said, OK, well, I'll choose this because I'm interested in natural health and, you know, and I'll get a little bit more out of the experience, I think. Did you graduate so, from Penn State in 2000? I graduated in 2001 from Penn State. Well, were you at State College? I was. I went there in 1972 and got my... In 74, I got a master's in mathematics from Penn State College. Yeah. I really liked the city and school. So I have a little bit of in common. And I love co-op. You had the pleasure of working in a food co-op, and I yeah. only learned about them about 20 years ago So, in, in managing housing co-ops. So you're working okay. in a food co-op. Yeah, and- so I was working in a food co-op, and I actually was in the back of the store. They had the uh, cafe. And I originally had applied and wanted to be just a cashier, but I ended up getting a job in the cafe and pretty much was making smoothies and fresh juices and tending to the salad bar and had the opportunity at that time during that process, um, also talking to a lot of black folks who were coming in the store because there weren't a lot of black people at the food co-op. It wasn't a very you know, just racially diverse place, just in terms of who who was working there. But, you know, you have a lot of folks who are interested in their health, and so that was one of the healthier places to shop. And so you had a lot of people coming in. And, you know, out of Penn State in, in my early 20s, I was really involved in a lot of grassroots activism work, things around um, young people, definitely around schools and what and, and what we were learning and the quality of what we were learning and measuring that by the nature of the conditions of our communities, that if we're struggling with poverty, if we're struggling with the achievement gap, if we're looking at, you know, buildings that are um, broken down and just the sort of uh, blight in a particular neighborhood, you know, why aren't we strategically addressing some of these things in what we learn every day? And so it would seem that if you were majoring in, like, economics, you would deal with some more specific examples, particularly at Penn State, because Penn State is a land-grant school. And so it's about educating the constituents of the Commonwealth, the children of the Commonwealth, to go back to the different places across Pennsylvania to build up their communities, you know. And that's really what Penn State says that it does. And so we started to challenge that, and specifically for Black people, because we were recognizing that we were falling at the bottom of, of the ladder in multiple, you know, areas that would measure quality of life. And so I was doing a lot of work around that, helping people to uh, become aware of the issues, doing a lot of uh, leadership development with young people in high schools and on college campuses. And so I had that going on at the same time that that I was working at the co-op. So folks would come in and I'd end up having, you know, really awesome conversations with people about, you know, their lives, but the different neighborhoods in Pittsburgh, the black community in Pittsburgh. And so I really got impassioned over time as I was kind of moving around in the co-op to becoming um, a front end manager of the store. Before you um, before you move on, though, you uh-huh. said something I want to go back and address. You said that you wanted to own your own business, but you weren't qualified. 
So your degree... I didn't feel experienced, yeah. Your degree in communications did not give you what you needed to start your own business in 2000, 2001. Yeah, there was definitely no sort of like entrepreneurial aspect. You know, everything, at least when I was in school, focused on broadcasting and focused on writing and telling people's stories. I got really jaded in that process because I felt like, one, mainstream news, which kind of was the path that I was going on, but specifically to work in Pittsburgh, to work at a local news station here. I just didn't feel like the major in the way that we learn and the structure of the curriculum in the classroom, that there wasn't much emphasis on really telling people's stories or, or linking other sort of majors of interest to communication so that you could better tell people's stories. So having some context when you are writing stories and covering news, and I say news in quotations, you know, and so I felt like through that process, there was a disservice being done to people of color, black people specifically, people of lower incomes, um, because we would report on crime or, or we would report these really sad instances and moments um, that made headlines, but we would never really talk about the underlying causes, the uh, systematic um, pieces that are in place that work together to kind of keep people in these categories of the haves and the have-nots. Yeah, so when I was in the co-op, I got really impassioned about this model because once I uh, worked my way up in the ranks of working at, at the co-op, I had the opportunity to travel to a lot of different um, cooperative business conferences and looking at different ways in which the co-op business model was being utilized. And once I went to a particular conference that really was racially diverse, it was inclusive in terms of the voices that were talking about their experiences and the conditions that they were dealing with, but as well as the way in which they've utilized a cooperative and like democratic model and a very grassroots orientation to solving some of these problems, you know, then I knew, oh my gosh, like this is, <laughs> this is something, something here. So I got really excited that when I started talking to people in my local community, I started talking to them about co-ops and about the cooperative business model. And so I was really looking for a way to use it. And then in 2008, when I made the decision actually to leave the Eastern Food Co-op that I was at, and at that time I felt more prepared to launch my personal business more professionally. And I got a call from a friend, Salita Hickman, and she had started um, having these meetings in the Hill District, which is a neighborhood here in Pittsburgh. It's a historic African-American and um, immigrant neighborhood here. It's well known for a culture of arts, you know, like cultural nightlife, jazz specifically. And she started having these meetings in the neighborhood because at the time, and really still right now, there was this huge push for redevelopment in the neighborhood, but it was going in a direction that did not include the residents who had lived there and who had sacrificed and who had been taken from them and had um, really struggled there for a long time through, you know, failed redevelopment effort in the 1950s and so to today. Lakeisha, we have a couple minutes before we go to our first break, but I want to fill in between 2001 and 2008. 
you you said when you came out of school you wanted to start your own business but you didn't feel you had the experience so then you started to work at the food co-op you started going to trainings and seminars and workshops and over that seven years you got some knowledge Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about what kind of knowledge, because it's the fifth principle of co-op, is education, training, and information. So in, in, in this model, this cooperative model, you became impassionate, and you've used that word three or four times already. Mm-hmm. And that's full of passion. I looked it up to make sure it's full of passion. And mm-hmm. that's a powerful, compelling emotion, passion of feeling. So you've got this feeling, this powerful feeling for this cooperative model. But how did you get the sort of, I didn't have the experience, I didn't have the the education to start my own business, and then so I worked at the food co-op for seven years, and in 2008, I was ready to start. And I'd like for you to answer it when we come back. We're going to take our first break, and then we'll be right back. Anybody want to call in to ask any questions, call in 1-800-450-7876. We'll be right back. Washington, D.C.'s News Talk, 1450 AM, WOS, at 95.9 FM. Information is power. This is why the National Cooperative Bank is sponsoring this program, to give you the information about cooperatives. This model, this cooperative business model, is what our guest, Ms. Lakeisha Wolf, is impassionate about. And we're going to talk about how she changed her feeling from not being able to start her own business in 2001 when she graduated from Penn State and then started working into a food co-op in Pittsburgh. And by 2008, she felt ready. So what kind of training, what caused this attitudinal uh, shift, Lakeisha? Well, um, I mean, several of the opportunities of learning came through um, workshops. I know I went to a specific training called the Young Cooperative Leaders Training Um, But, you know, really meeting people, hearing some stories. Um, One of the people who I met several years ago and to this day, we actually were just on a panel together the other day, um, is uh, Dr. Jessica Gordon-Nenhard. And um, and I was just so impressed by her. She's a professor at John Jay College in New York. And in my opinion, I mean, I haven't seen anyone else who has done this level of work around cooperatives. She is really focused on the cooperative history, real tangible examples and models and businesses over time that have occurred within the um, African-American community. And she's just a very thorough person. And so she has been doing a lot of presentations. I think she studies uh, economics and African-American history culture and, and, and teaches those things. But this very specific work that she's done, it's probably what influenced me the most over this time. Um, I also met a wonderful sister who's actually there in D.C. Oh, hold, be, hold um, on one work. second, mm-hmm. uh, Lakeisha. Sure. Dr. Jessica gordon Nimhard's book is Collective Courage, a history of yes. African-American cooperative economic thought and practices. And she did research for 15 years. She did not know that there was this breadth of knowledge, just like I only learned about co-ops after I started managing them. Lakeisha did not get any experience or knowledge about co-ops in her education at Penn State. Mm-hmm. But Penn State Press did publish this book. Mm-hmm. So, um, <laughs> Which is, you know, <laughs> ironic or, you know, or that's serendipity to this day. You but know. you're also your well, young cooperative leaders. Know. 
from looking at your bio, you got that training from NASCO, if I've read mm-hmm. your bio. And NASCO okay. is the North American Student Cooperative Organization, and it's uh, NASCO. And mm-hmm. if anybody out there, student cooperatives, mainly housing co-ops around colleges and universities, but they had this training for young cooperative leaders. And there's a number mm-hmm. of different places to go out and get training. CDF, Cooperative Development Foundation, also has some monies to help start cooperatives, and that's cdf.coop. You can go on their webpage. They have about six different funds that folks can get money to do technical training and if you have groups of people that's coming together. So you got this training, and you were talking about a person here in the D.C. area. Yeah, and that person is Ajawa Ifateo. And maybe you know her. I'm not sure. She um, well, Ajawa has been on the program. So has Jessica Gordon-Nimhard. So has Jim Jones mm-hmm. from NASCO, another person yeah. from NASCO. So, yes, okay. we've been making it. And it th- we, yeah. we've been doing this almost three years, four months. So we, okay. we're getting to know the people in the cooperative world. So, yes, Ajawa. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I met her because, you know, it, when I first began going to the training and when you hear just some of the history, right? And this is why it's very important to have a broader, more inclusive, just understanding of the world, one, because you become really ignorant to and then perpetuate things that don't empower people. Um, and people's stories and people's history empowers people. And if you don't include those things, um, you give young people, and then thus we grow into adults, um, a very limited worldview. And so what I was reading uh, when I first started getting involved in cooperatives was that, you know, the cooperative timeline, you know, the first successful cooperative endeavor happened in Rochdale, England, right? And I can't really, you know, off the top of my head, I don't know what the date is, but it's in the 1800s. 1844. Um, right. I was going to say about the, in, in the middle of that time. And, you know, and while those are good stories, it, it was hard to find yourself in that story if you're a person of color. And so when I began to, you know, really use the rest of myself, because again, I, you know, haven't been involved in, you know, activism and, you know, really raising the consciousness of myself and um, contributing to spaces that help do that for other students, and particularly African-American students. So I already had this trajectory to, you know, look at things from a more African-centered perspective, meaning that if you're a person of African descent, you put yourself in the center of your own world in order to understand it, right? Um, And it's what people of European descent do. But however, you know, we haven't been in power in these spaces to control our own learning process. And so, you know, so because of that, you know, it's been difficult for black people to become African-centered as descendants of African people. And so when I began to do that and also meeting these wonderful women I just mentioned and hearing these stories and, you know, really looking at the history, it was like, you know, your mind is blown because you say, wow, like this is exactly what I've been looking for is examples of ways that we've done this and have always been doing this work as black people. And there's so many different ways in which this principle can be applied. And when I say this principle, I'm talking about the va- like the actual value of cooperation and working together and seeing the whole and its many parts. Let me try to add something here, Lakeisha. Mm-hmm. You said that the successful co-op was in 1844 in, in Rochdale. So 
what I have learned um, is that in 1844 in England, the people in Rochdale put together these principles, but that was not the first successful cooperative. They put together the principles, the values and principles. That's, they started that process and writing it down and spreading it out, which is what the British were known for. But I was in a presentation in Puerto Rico, when Puerto Rico has a lot of co-ops, and the presenter said in the 1400s, the Incas in Peru had cooperatives. Uh, if you go back and look at Western Africa, when the, when the Africans came over here in the slave ships, they brought this whole concept of working together. That's what formed the mutual aid societies here in, in the U.S. But this whole con- – in, in southern Africa, there's something called Ubuntu. Uh, Ubuntu is that I am because you are, and you are because I am, and we work together. I can't hurt you, or if I hurt you, I hurt myself. So so this this whole concept has, has been around a long time. Matter of fact, I think that's – from my sense, that's uh, sort of at the center of humanness is working together, working right. th- together for the good. And then you bring in the capitalistic society and it is mm-hmm. I'm out for mm-hmm. me and me only and I'm going to do whatever I need to do to take whatever you have so I can get yeah. it all as opposed to let's make decisions. This is why I've become, I'm going to start using your word, impassionate about <laughs> co-ops. It's because I, I would watch people in housing co-ops make decisions that's good for the group. Mm-hmm. It may not be good for one particular family. And that person may be voting to go ahead and do what's best for the group. And that's one of the things that excited me. So this, this cooperative concept has a deep rooted history. And I think we could probably find examples in the Bible of folks working together in groups, in community, to solve community problems for whatever is best for the group. I think that's the mm-hmm. basis of the church. I think that's the basis yeah. of the Underground Railroad that we had here. When you start looking at what this cooperative is, it goes way back, long before right. 1844. Right, 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 right. That's my teaching but head on for the what day. what gets explicitly taught, right, are these examples, and we don't get to really integrate our values with then what we are conditioned to participate in. And so I think that that's really where the where the difference is, is that while we could, you know, talk about all of the examples because they are there and we need to highlight them, we're not doing that. It's almost like, you know, one of the struggles that I think people go through is that, you know, and I, you know, I, I would see and I would give this very explicit example that I've seen in my experience. And, you know, seeing people be very powerful within a church setting. Yes. But then they go to work the next day at whatever corporation. And the corporation and the way in which it practices does not align with the values that we, you know, we're practicing on Sunday. And that there becomes a split in the person. And I think that America has conditioned us to live with the split in the person. And it doesn't have to be that way. Um, and, you know, and some, and some folks, you know, find a way to blend it or, 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 or for that them not to be so big. Um, so, but, you know, I think that that's one of the reasons why people have a lot of mental health issues and a lot of well, depression. Okay. You just go, <laughs> you, you, know, you take it to I mean, a whole I'm nother just, level, but we've got to take our yeah, second break here. Sure. And we're going to come back and talk more about the hierarchy. And this is what happens mm-hmm. in most of the U.S. is a hierarchy society as opposed to some kind of lateral society where people are working together for the, for the good of the group. And churches is one place that that happens. 
But we'll, we'll be right back and talk. I want to get to your collective, but we'll come back and talk about that after we after the break. Washington, D.C.'s News Talk, 1450 AM, WO at 95.9 FM. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, you know, we're having a great conversation with this young lady, a mother of two, uh, who is an artist, an entrepreneur, a communicator, and out of Pittsburgh. So we were we were talking about this this schism uh, between if you're in church, uh, maybe even in your family, you work together and you sort of do things together, and you can become powerful in that. And then you go maybe to your home and maybe to your workplace, and there's a hierarchy. There's also a hierarchy in church, um, but it's a whole nother conversation. But you you get this. It's, it's difficult, and I found the difference so much as I've gotten in this cooperative world and learning about how you strive for unanimity or major consensus, 75% of the people to 100% of the people agreeing on something and listening to each other to where you get a hierarchy um, where the person in charge makes a statement, and that's it. That's such a difference in how we operate. So uh, you were talking about that, and you went to that might be why we have so much mental issues. And I, I said earlier that I believe this cooperation is in the fundamental sort mm-hmm. of uh, reason for our human existence is togetherness, uh, cooperatively yeah, working. I would together. agree, yeah. I um, definitely would agree. And I think that, you know, just to articulate on, you know, the issue of hierarchy, you know, Hierarchy in and of itself doesn't have to be necessarily a bad thing, but I think that within a very pushy capitalistic history that this country has had, that has created, you know, that's a whole other conversation in terms of what the history of um, America has been when it comes to power and how, and you know, and how power has, has played out. So not to get into, because that's a whole layered, um, you know, we could talk about you know, slavery and indentured servants, you know, but that is how far back and how entrenched we are in capitalism. And so I think that people think about co-ops, you know, they think about it as the total antithesis. And, you know, there are some definite differences and some differences in the principles and the values and putting those into practice. But, you know, you'll still find, you know, a a co-op in many respects is still a business, right? It still has legal requirements and, you know, people who need to be in charge of certain kinds of things based upon their their skills, Um, you know, so you still can have a manager because there are still day-to-day decisions that, that need to be made. But the things that matter the most and how the um, sort of operations in the, in the, in the context around that, you know, can still be very much with the mindset of hearing people's voices and folks agreeing on what that looks like and how those principles play themselves out in how the co-op is ran, you know, because there's so many different forms of cooperatives. And so, you know, and that's, I think that's what also excites me about the model is that the model is like an umbrella model. So there's so many different ways in which you can have hybrids of the model. But it's really about, yeah, putting these other values into action and making sure that at the end of the day, 
there are collective benefits for everybody involved. So let me just quickly for everybody out there, the, the cooperative values are self-help, self-responsibility, democracy, equality, equity, and solidarity. And in the tradition of the founding founders of cooperative, cooperative members believe in the ethical values of honesty, openness, social responsibility, and caring for others. And so just right there, I love co-ops. But then you get to the principles. The first one is volunteer and open membership. It doesn't make any difference about race or gender or political affiliation or religious. It just doesn't make any difference. And then democratic member control is normally one member, one vote. Member economic participation normally is some money to come. You pay some money to get in. That could be over time or different ways of structure. But also if you make money, if there's a profit, then you can get share in that profit and member economic. Then autonomy and independence, you have to be able to own it and control it. And the sixth one, we, the fifth one we've already talked about, education, training, and information is critical. And I've taught school for 12 years, and very important to me is education. Cooperation among cooperatives is the sixth, and concern for community is the seventh. So these are the principles and the values that you're talking about. But if you're using these values, the members can decide to have a hierarchy, okay? Mm -hmm. Or the members can say, we're going to have decisions where everybody has a voice. And there's pluses and minus for both of those. Uh, but the, the members are the ones that make the decision on how to cooperate mm-hmm. and run, and mm-hmm. that's what's, what's critical, and then hold each other accountable for doing their job. So you started talking about the founder of Ujama Collective. Mm-hmm. Ujama. So Salida Hickman, you mentioned her name once earlier, and then mm-hmm. so you made a call in 2008, or she called you in 2008. So what happened yes, out, of, right. out of that Absolutely. conversation or those conversations? She essentially, in a nutshell, was looking to organize African-American women who were handmade artists for doing a marketplace in the Hill District. And um, What is handmade artists? So these are artists who make their goods by hand, essentially. So jewelry artists, you know, and really, if it's not made on a machine, it's a handmade thing, right? So there's all kinds of things, but a lot of the, the women who came to the table were jewelry artists, textile artists, you know, fashion folks, people who had different types of like paper craft businesses, you know, making greeting cards, people who were sculptors, folks who, you know, worked in like ceramics and all of that, made plates and, you know, things for the home, lots of different types of home decor items, again, textiles, cooks and caterers, and the list goes on and on. And then you had um, women who came to the table who, and who were excited about this idea of working together. Um, so it was about creating this marketplace, right? Um, because what was happening is that here in Pittsburgh, a lot of us were pretty much waiting for, you know, I had left the Eastern Food Co-op and said, okay, I'm going to work on my business. And I didn't have anywhere for my business to go <laughs> outside of my house unless I was waiting for other people to put on, you know, vending shows and other events. Um, and so that was a part of the sort of impetus that Salita had at the time. What was your the business? Part, what was your business? So I have a business called Enjoy Yourself, and I create gemstone-based jewelry. And then I have a line of natural skin and hair care products called EMOS, which stands for Earth Mother. And so I still do those things to this day. And how do you spell um, EMOS? It's actually E-M-A-S. 
apostrophe F, mod. So you make jewelry and then skin care products, hair and skin mm-hmm. care products. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. And you and were doing so this out was, of your house, and mm-hmm. so you had to make the products. You had to, so you had to go get the purchase whatever you needed to make the products, the gemstones and whatever you use in your hair products. Mm-hmm. You had to create it, develop it, and then you had to sell it. And then I had to sell it. So you had to do right. everything. Right. Okay. And in that, right, we're waiting for other people to have the spaces to sell. You know, at the time, you know, I began to put together a website. I really struggled with that. I was, again, doing that on my own. Didn't have very much money in the startup pot. And I got this phone call. And so Salida was organizing women around that. But also, again, she's somebody who's also an activist and, and works uh, really around children and making sure that children get a start early. So she does early childhood development, but she's an artist and makes jewelry and makes art-based paper products or paper-based art products. And that's, you know, greeting cards, journals, um, things that are essentially like art cards. It's, it's a She's fascinating in that practice. But um, she also had been working in the... Carnegie Library Systems here in Pittsburgh. And so she had access to a lot of like archives and databases where she was doing this research. Um, And she's somebody who, when she came out of school, she was focused on um, African-American history and culture. And so she was doing research on what black women, specifically African women, were doing to make money in pre-colonial Africa. And you know, a lot of times when we look at our history and we look at Africa now or, you know, past few decades, we think about a lot of the ways in which they may still be struggling. You know, even though there's a lot of sort of mega cities in Africa today as well, but we don't look at, you know, where Africa was before it was colonized. And there's an awesome example of business, of principles in action. So she was coming from that perspective. So she brought forward this concept called the ASUSU. And the ASUSU is a practice that still happens today in Nigeria and in some other places. And it was a practice of rotating money. So it's really like this uh, collective bank. And today it would be called a rotating credit and savings association. But this is a practice that traveled through the transatlantic slave trade from West Africa to the Caribbean islands. And then in the last century, as Caribbeans came to America in a migrated pattern, you had this practice come to America. And so as we began to organize, she had this concept and wanted to practice it. Lots of the women who came to the table had some experience in this because their families or them themselves, these women, were from the Caribbean. And had stores to say, you know, yeah, you know, I was in in a susu before I came here, or my grandmother has always been a part of that, or this is how my parents um, were were able to buy their first home, or this is how we paid tuition when my big brother went to college. Um, So we had all of these stories, and so it just made sense for us, hey, let's practice the a susu as well as do this marketplace concept. Well, you and know, so we um, started practicing the ASUSU and my uncle, where my we're uncle at. told me, uh, at least my cousin there, said my the uncles in New York, they used to have rent parties. Anybody mm-hmm. ever lost their job or got behind and everybody would pitch in 
have yeah. a party and come in so the person could raise money to pay rent. So there's all kinds of ways we can work together. And, you know, we only have 11 or 12 more minutes. We've got to take our last mm-hmm. break. And I really want to get to the uh, the fourth principle uh-huh. of Kwanzaa, which is Ujama, and also mm-hmm. a little bit more about the collective and what you all are doing. You talked about it and what the person that started it is doing, what you are doing and how you are coming together and how you all make decisions. And we'll be right back. We only have, I could, I could talk to you for another hour, but we don't have that long. So we'll make the best of our last 11 or 12 minutes after this next break. Uh, so folks, please don't touch your dial. We'll be right back. Washington, D.C.'s News Talk, 1450 AM, Lakeisha Wolf is our guest today, and this is Everything Co-op. We only have one more segment. And, Lakeisha, I have a bunch of questions, so I'm going to try to go right to them, and hopefully you can give me a 30-second to a minute answer, and we'll we'll try to move and get a lot of questions answered. So you all had a call. How did you all get started in 2008? How did you get this? How did you women come together? Yeah, there were about 20 women, about 15 core women who had products that they were making consistently. And uh, we began to vend collectively at different events, started to practice a susu, uh, money that we would make at, at our vending events, we would take 10% of that and put to the side into a collective pot. As we were kind of having workshops with ourselves, you know, learning about the co-op business model, but also just learning about business in general, um, because each one of us, you know, needed to really learn more about entrepreneurship. So we decided that we would, because uh, we were struggling with what type of entity we should be. So we were this collective and we were unincorporated. And we actually decided that we would incorporate as a nonprofit because we had friends in the foundation community and people who were saying to us, you know, what you guys are doing is, is, is really good. You know, we could probably find a way to help you build capacity. And so that's kind of how we got started. So we had a capacity building grant that we were given in two, between 2000 and about 2009 that helped us kind of test the concept of the marketplace to let folks know that we existed. And so what we did through, through the nonprofit was, you know, access a lot of startup capital. And we started the marketplaces where we were able to buy a lot of the um, equipment that we needed pop-up tents. And so this was an open air marketplace in the Hill district. And, um, and then we began to do what we called our um, entrepreneurship preparation training. And we would partner sometimes with some of the um, small business development centers here in Pittsburgh connected to a lot of the schools. Um, and then we also um, found a woman who really understood the the blend of who we were and the sort of like synergy of this cooperative business model, as you mentioned, the fourth principle of Kwanzaa, um, this African-centered approach. And so she began to consult and teach in our program. And, you know, we began to really listen to our members about what they wanted to do, you know, and a lot of them were, my myself included, creating products that, you know, were food products or needed something that came from the earth. And so we got involved with urban farming. And um, and that's something that we participated in for about three years. But land is a major issue in the Hill District. So wait, um, before you go to urban farming, yeah. who does the financials for your business? Who keeps track in, in of the business? money? So currently it's, it's myself and our board. 
And then we actually have recently had the capacity to hire a bookkeeper. Yeah, so we began to, you know, outsource some some of those things because we have um, this mixed model. So we have a nonprofit where there are specific requirements that we have to do as a nonprofit. And then we have a cooperative that operates underneath the nonprofit, if that makes sense. For-profit cooperative? Right. So you, you have some for-profit cooperatives, collectives. We really have a hybrid model. So one of the main things that we do here in Pittsburgh is um, after we did the marketplace for a long time, we decided, because we couldn't do that year-round in Western Pennsylvania, right, be outside. And so we decided that we would do brick and mortar. And um, so the So you have a store now. Our collective does is, mm-hmm. yeah, we operate a retail boutique. And the boutique features the work of all of our members, as well as the work of other Africana artists from our local community, the region, and globally. And so we've worked really hard to grow this business to create not just a local presence, but a global presence. Because a lot of the issues and our concern for community um, is local and global. And particularly because the members that founded our group were local and global. You know, the folks that we were serving as artists and as members and as stakeholders in our group represented, you know, Black folks here in Pittsburgh. But again, as I mentioned, we had women who were from the Caribbean. And so they had families and folks who, you know, made things in Jamaica and in Trinidad. And then we have folks who are from Africa and multiple countries in Africa, Kenya and Nigeria. And, you know, and we know these people in our communities. It's who we, you know, really interact with every day. And we were recognizing that, you know, for us as low income artists and as black women who've been subjugated in Pittsburgh, you know, in the Hill District specifically, the like medium female worker, black woman in, in the Hill District makes you know, less than $7,000. And so we $7,000 a year? A year. And so we were living these lives. We, um, you know, these are our neighbors. These are our families. And so we were recognizing that for us, it was about doing something that met our common needs. But as black women, again, as what we talked about at the beginning of the show, you know, women are mothers, they're caretakers, they're leaders, they're business owners, right? There's there's a, a whole web that connects the world to a woman. And her influence is great. Her care is great. The And so the, the need is great. And, you know, and, and the woman is the first teacher. And so she's she's giving a lot. And so we were looking at studies that were, you know, really giving the data to the lives that we were living and that we were seeing in our communities. And so we recognized that we needed to think about ourselves. We we needed to put it in a historical context and think about other people around the world who are suffering, but who are part of our families, who are just like us. And also the importance of, you know, doing business with a global mindset, right? And so that in order for us to grow, we needed to, you know, sometimes when people think about manufacturing in America, you know, uh, our current president talks about China a lot, right? And so there's been this push to, you know, for people to have things produced in China. And yes, the Chinese need jobs, but what happens there and what happens in a lot of other countries is that people are being taken advantage of 
through their labor. And that's something that we were very sensitive to here because we recognize what black women were dealing with and working really hard, but still unable to take care of their families, working two and three jobs, but that we could, as um, folks who were and wanted to be business owners, that we could do this ourselves, but that we could also empower other folks who were dealing with the same conditions. And so what we coined was was local and global fair trade. Local and global fair trade, but a cooperative are based on the values of self-help, so mm-hmm. self-responsibility. So that yeah. if um, if you find that the people out there, if you find out that you're in a job that doesn't pay very much, then get together with a group of women, as Lakeisha has done in Pittsburgh, and or a group of men and women doesn't mm-hmm. have to be gender specific, and decide whatever you want to do in that. your community, whatever business you want to do, and then you can get started to to have control over your own wealth, creating wealth. Mm -hmm. And what Mm -hmm. I like about Ujamaa means extended family. Right. Um, The concept asserts that a person becomes a person through people or through community. So that's what we started talking about in this fourth principle. Uh, And it's also create your own, you said on your webpage. And would you give people your webpage so they can go and look at what is your webpage? It is ujamaacollective.org. Um, so that's U-J-A-M-A-A-C-O-L-L-E-C-T-I-V-E dot O-R-G. Um, and actually, I think if you put in dot com, dot net, all of those things will um, come back to us. But just Google us and we're there. And, yeah, the boutique is the flagship of what, of, of what we do. And, you know, our vision from the beginning was to create a regional destination in Pittsburgh through our cooperative strategies. And we've been able to do that over some time. And, you know, we're still growing and we're looking to um, really invest in the next generation of um, young women to learn a cooperative business with art and handmade goods as the niche of what they do. Um, And so we're starting a new program now, but, you know, I really encourage people can come and visit us. If you're ever in Pittsburgh or coming this way um, to stop through and see us in action. But Keisha, you know, it's been an absolute pleasure. We only have about another minute, but it's Ujama, U-J-A-M-A-A, collective.org. I want to encourage you to change that to dot .coop, uh, either Ujama <laughs> yeah, no, right. <laughs> but uh, the, the fourth principle of Kwanzaa is Ujama, and it's to build and maintain our own stores, shops, and other businesses and profit from them together. Together. So creating and working together to profit. And so it's like you don't have to go to the man to say, Mr. Man, I need a job. You can go out and create your own job and create your own wealth. And this is why we're having this program. This is why NCB is sponsoring this program. And, Lakeisha, I'm so glad that you came on. I really appreciated the knowledge that you have and what you're doing. I'm planning to make a destination to come to Pittsburgh to, to shop in your store. It is just it's wonderful. Just keep up the great work. Keep up Thank the great work. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. So everybody out there, we will see you next week when we'll still be celebrating women's uh, history. And I just will encourage you to go find a cooperative, shop in it, go to Pittsburgh, uh, go online to shop from them. Because cooperatives help people to come out of poverty with dignity. 